welcome to this morning's service, those of you that are here, welcome to those of you that are listening online at home. Let's just take, let's take a moment to still our minds, to be still before, before our Lord and Saviour, to focus on him. It's good that we can come today to meet with each other. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for bringing us through another week. We thank you for the good times with all the blessings that you give us. And we thank you for always being there for the difficult times as well. We thank you for the love and support we have from each other here in this congregation. And we thank you that you never give up on us that you never stop loving us. We welcome you here today and ask that our worship may be pleasing to you. We ask that you'll speak to us through your word and as we meet together later around your table, that we'll feel your presence. Or just meet with us, we pray. Come Lord Jesus, come Holy Spirit and meet with us today. We thank you for the peace that you give us. Think of the verse in John 14. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. We thank you, Father, that whatever happens in our life, we can trust you. And that you are there with us through it all. Good morning, everybody. Nice to see you all this morning. And of course, a very warm welcome to those who are uh, watching on YouTube. It's always good to be together. Right, so just a few notices for this week. This afternoon, prospects will be meeting down here at church at 3 o'clock. Tomorrow, it's the prayer and meditation via Zoom at 930 uh, on Tuesday, the art play group from 10 till 11.30, excuse me, and from 1 until 2.30. And the lunch club, as usual, on Thursday at, at 12pm. We had 26 people last week. It was really good. So please do come, invite family, friends. It's uh, it's a good time together. I thought, seeing as we're in the second week of Lent, and Easter will be upon us very shortly, I'd just run through the events that uh, that we've got planned. Um, they will, they're all in the newsletter, and it will be on the website and on Facebook, but I just think it's just good to kind of say it out loud sometimes. So on Monday, Thursday, that's the 28th of March, we have our service of reflection, where, where we'll be sharing a meal uh, and communion together. That starts at six o'clock. Good Friday, um, reflective service at church, down here at church at 10.30, and then we'll be having the walk of witness, as we've done for quite a few years now, that starts uh, here at church at 11 o'clock. And we walk, for those who don't know, we have a silent walk down into the bottom of Swallowness where there will be a cross. We have a very short time of worship around the cross, and then we walk back up and we have refreshments back here at church. Our church is a good place to start and finish. It's on the main route. So uh, if you need any more information about any of this, just just come and see me, and I'll uh, I'll, make sure that you know what's happening. Then on Easter Sunday, uh, we have the sunrise service at Ole Country Park at 8 o'clock. 
and then breakfast here at church at nine o'clock. Uh, and then the Easter celebration service at normal time at 10.30. And then there's a, a very short outdoor service to finish the, um, the, the Easter Sunday celebrations back at the crossroads at the cross. Because we know the cross is not the end, is it? It's the resurrection that's important. So we need to go there and let everybody know that Jesus is alive. Uh, so as many as possible could go, that'd be great. Just a reminder, and I'm, I'm sure people will know this, but on that Saturday night, 30th, going into the 31st of Sunday, is the night, is the day when British summer start time begins, officially. So the clocks go forward. That's right, isn't it? Spring forward. An hour. Just to be aware that we don't want anybody missing out on anything, so please try and remember. I know there'll be loads of information about it, but I just thought I'd just mention it while I'm doing, while I'm doing these notices. This, this Sunday as well, Easter Sunday, is officially, or technically, or whatever you want to call it, David and Julie's last Sunday with us uh, regards the preaching side of things and everything. It will be probably, probably be around a little bit longer than that, hopefully. Oh, he might not even come to that, that looks of him. <laughs> No, so we do we do want to say goodbye properly. We're, anyway, we're, go, we're, we're going to have a little farewell service and then we're going to have a buffet lunch because you have to have food, don't you? It goes without saying. So that will be happening on Sunday the 7th of April, the following Sunday. So uh, these are just dates for the minute. I'll give you more information and details later on uh, as, we, as we move forward. Uh, but I just thought it'd be good, good to perhaps put things in your, in your diaries. So that's all from me. If the children would like to go out, or, or child, is it the child going out with the lovely Jan? <laughs> younger art, Jan, younger art. Yeah, I'm sure he will, yeah. Tina, would you like to come and read the scripture for this morning, please? I'm reading from Luke chapter 4. And the um, title at the top is The Temptation of Jesus. Luke chapter 4. The Temptation of Jesus. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. Then the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, No. The scriptures say, People do not live by bread alone. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them. The devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you will worship me. Jesus replied, the scriptures say, you worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and he said, If you are the Son of God, 
jump off. For the scripture says, he will order his angels to protect and guard you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on the stone. Jesus responded, the scripture also says, you must not test the Lord your God. When the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. And for some reason, I feel I've got to read this again. Jesus returned to Galilee and he was filled with the Holy Spirit's power. We need it every day, continually being filled by the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you very much, Tina. And uh, yes, good morning, everybody. It's a funny old time of year, isn't it? Last, year, last week we had snow on the ground, and this week we've got crocuses poking their little heads up. Um, we're really in that transition, aren't we, between Christmas and Easter, between winter and, and spring, Christmas and Easter. And uh, it's quite opportune, really. I think it's probably only the first week of Lent, unless we've gone to sleep. Yeah, but it's fine. We are in Lent. Um, last month, we had a look at some of the son of names. We did a series looked, looking at the son of um, throughout um, Mark's gospel. And one of those names we saw was Jesus, Son of the Most High. David took us through that one. It was only a few weeks ago. Um, And as I said, for that series, we were specifically looking at the son of names that were mentioned in Mark's Gospel. But Jesus was also referred to as the Son of the Most High right at the beginning of Luke's Gospel, which is the Gospel that we are looking at this morning that Tina has just read from. Um, In fact, we we heard it in one of our Advent readings back in December, this Son of the Most High. It was this bit, right at the beginning of Luke. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him, that's Jesus, the throne of his father David. Over the course of the last month or so, we've considered aspects of Jesus' divinity, his humanity, his victory, um, the fact that he's sovereign, the fact that he is the cosmic king and judge of the universe, the the fact that he owns everything, even our own lives and breath. And as Tina says just now, this is the awesome God who wants to serve us, who desires to meet with us daily, over and over again, whether we are on the mountaintops of joy or in in the greatest valley of despair of need. That is our God, the servant king. But lots of people think that they've really got not very much need to be served. Certainly no desire to be served, really by anyone, but especially Jesus. Lots of people think that they're very self-sufficient. Don't want to be served or uh, tended upon by anybody. Lots of people think that this dusty figure of Jesus has no relevance to their lives. But consigning Jesus to an interesting point of history is kind of missing another part of the great Advent readings that we saw. Jesus' birth was good news of great joy for all people, it said, again in Luke's Gospel. And so as we move further from Christmas 
and into this period of Lent where we're inevitably turning our thoughts towards Easter and the cross. This morning we're going to be having a look at the ministry of Jesus and trying to be a little bit clearer about who it is that's serving us. Jesus is the Son of God, declared by Father God himself. Again, Luke chapter 3. You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. But it's also right that we appreciate that Jesus is not only the Son of God, but he's also one of us. And that's crucial to the passage that we're looking at this morning. We also know from the the series that we looked at last month that he's referred to as the son of man, the son of Adam. He's human as well as God. He's human like you and I. He breathed, he lived like you and I do. He had family, he had friends like you and I do. He got hungry like you do, as we will see in the passage today. And so I guess wrapping up the entirety of the last five weeks or so, Jesus is son of God, yes, but he's also your brother. He is just one of us. He is just like one of us, sorry. And so as we look at his life over the next six weeks in Lent, we will discover that no step that he takes is accidental. Father, son and spirit work together in his ministry. So having a look at our passage, have a look at Luke chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. Now this is the start of Jesus' ministry, okay? And it's a pretty inauspicious start, isn't it? To what is meant to be a glorious, global ministry, There's no crowds, no fanfare, no ad campaign or media launch, no resources at all. Just Jesus, 40 days, with an adversary, with the devil, tempting and testing him. Maybe it's not what we would expect. So who is this devil then? In the Bible, he's sometimes referred to as the Satan, the adversary, the liar. And I know in popular culture, we've got that image of a a bloke in kind of red tights with a pitchfork, haven't we? But the devil is much more powerful and much less comical than that. The devil is no friend of God. And therefore, he's no friend of you either. Because you are a creature that God loves. And the devil's plan has always been to derail the plan that God has always had. God wants to bring us life and blessing through the ministry of Jesus. And this attempt to derail is absolutely not new when we get to the New Testament in uh, in Luke this morning. We saw it way back in Genesis When Adam and Eve were tempted and failed that temptation in the Garden of Eden, it led to them being cut off from God's blessing, a failure that led to death. And that's the devil's ambition for every son of Adam, for every man and woman ever. And that's therefore his ambition for you today. He wants you to be cut off from God's blessing. 
We're told in scripture that he prowls around looking for weaknesses, looking to devour us. We're told in scripture that on a day like today when we're meeting and hearing the word of God, that the devil wants to snatch God's word away before it really does us any good. We're told in scripture that the devil wants to blind our eyes to how gloriously good God is. But here, at the start of Jesus' ministry in Luke chapter 4, the battle is very, very simple. It doesn't involve all of us at that moment. It's a simple, direct battle. Jesus, devil, those two. And in verse 1, we're told that Jesus is led straight into the path of the enemy. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. This is a deliberate action. The the Spirit is leading Jesus into this temptation. This is where his ministry must begin. And we join the scene, we join the battle, if you like, at day number 40. By this time we're told Jesus is desperately hungry. He's at the edge of human endurance. So now is the time for the devil to strike. And the devil will tempt him three times in this passage. Tempting him away from the ministry that he has just begun. So let's have a look at the first temptation. This is the the temptation of provision. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God... Command this stone to become bread. In one simple challenge, the devil has hit Jesus on three fronts, if you like. Firstly, he's tempting Jesus here to doubt the words of his father. Did you see what the devil said? If you are the son of God. Emphasis on that word, if. Allegedly... You're God's son. But the truth is that God has already declared that. I I showed you that earlier on. It was in chapter 3 of Luke's gospel. We saw it, didn't we? You are my beloved son, declares God. With you I am well pleased. But the devil here is, is chipping away at the truth. He loves to chip away at the truth. Secondly, the devil here is trying to cause Jesus to forsake his humanity. And by his divine nature, command stone to become bread. Well, the the task is well within Jesus' abilities. He could do it, of course. He could do it. Later on in his ministry, he's going to feed 5,000 people with the miraculous provision of loaves and fish. The devil here is saying, wouldn't this plan be so much easier without this Messy human business going on. But Jesus knows that the plan won't work unless he is human. He can't serve us unless he is one of us. It's like we end up reading in Hebrews uh, chapter 2 verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood... 
He himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he may destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. So the devil's trying to cause Jesus to forsake his humanity and just be divine. Thirdly, the devil here is trying to tempt Jesus in the same way that he tries to tempt us. In verse 2, we've been told that Jesus is hungry. It's not really a surprise after 40 days of fasting, is it? Bread would be an obvious need. It wouldn't be an extravagant desire. Of course he wants bread. The devil's saying, if you are God's son, and that is what he said, if you are the one that God loves, how can he not want you to have bread at a time like this? Wouldn't a good and loving father want you to have bread? It's a temptation towards dissatisfaction, isn't it? It's a temptation towards impatience, to doubt the goodness of God that we've sung about this morning. It probably sounds familiar to a lot of us. Jesus here is deliberately experiencing the same temptation that God's people do. In the Old Testament, God's people experienced their own desert wanderings for 40 years. Having been rescued from Egypt, they wandered around in the desert. Time and time again, they were tempted to doubt the goodness of God's provision, even though he had promised to be with them and provide for their every need. Repeatedly, they grew dissatisfied. They grew impatient and doubts crept in. Jesus is walking the same path of temptation here. And his ministry works both ways through time. He's not just doing this for Israel. He's doing it for every son of Adam. So that counts for us as well. We are so often tempted to be dissatisfied with what God has given us or impatient about what God hasn't given us. We so often think about it. Why, why hasn't he given me this thing, this, this, this work opportunity, this family situation, this health, this happiness, this wealth, whatever it might be? If he is a good and loving God, why hasn't he done that? Of course he should provide this. If I really am a child of God, if I really am one that God loves, why wouldn't he give me that? In these and so many other areas, we are tempted to doubt God's goodness. We've probably all been in a situation where our circumstances seem to point towards God being distant or disinterested in our situation. We've probably all at some point thought, well, why can't he see that I need this? And that's Jesus here. One of us, and with the power to change things, but he refuses to change things. Because look at his answer. Look how he overcomes the temptation where Israel failed and where we fail. 
into the fog of the devil's half-truths, Jesus speaks this clear and present word. Man shall not live by bread alone. He responds with the words his father gave to Israel in the desert when they were tempted. The word that God gives us all when we doubt his goodness. It's it's actually a word from the book of Deuteronomy chapter 8, right near the end of the time of wandering in the desert when God called Israel to heed his word because it would lead them to life. And Jesus knows this. Because it's the word of the Father who loves him. And so Jesus listens to his Father, who promises to lead him through the desert. Yes, you will hunger, but God will provide what you need. And even more than that, through your hunger, he will teach you the truth of the verse. Man does not live by bread alone. But man lives by every word that comes out of the mouth of the Lord. It's actually how the verse plays out. Beyond the provision of bread or whatever it might be, we have this glorious provision of God's promise to us. The word of provision that says, I am your portion. The word of promise that says, I will not leave you or forsake you. The word of love. You are a child who I love. And Jesus knows this because the Father has spoken. And so in the, in the depths of the desert, at the height of hunger, he does what Israel couldn't do and what we so often fail to do. He trusts the word of his heavenly Father. And that sustains him through the desert. And this morning we should thank God that he did, because he did that for us. He's serving us in two ways as he does this in the desert. Firstly, as I've mentioned, he is succeeding where we fail. He is trusting God's word. He's trusting that God who made you and loves you is for you. He succeeds. Here is one, just like us, a man in our place, succeeding where we fail. And that makes a difference. In Hebrews we read, For this reason Jesus had to be made like his brothers in every way. He became like men so that he could be their merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. Then Jesus could bring forgiveness for their sins. Here is the one whose victory over temptation overcomes our weakness and failure. God was pleased to send his son to serve you in this way. And so Jesus says to all of us, to each one of us, come to me. I will be faithful for you before my father. And that's the gospel. We're all just a bunch of failures with only one hero, Jesus. He is enough. He is the son of God, the son of Adam, who was tempted like us, but without sin, 
so that he can take away yours. How amazingly precious is that? He serves us firstly by succeeding where we fail. So his victory is our victory. But secondly, he serves us in the desert by suffering so he can help us today. Going back into Hebrews uh, chapter 2. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Or a little bit later in chapter 4. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And so that means we can approach his throne with, with confidence. We can get mercy and grace and help in our times of need. Jesus is where to go to when we're tempted towards dissatisfaction or tempted to doubt God's goodness, we're not to draw in again and, and think about our own resources or distance ourselves from God whose, doubtness, whose goodness we doubt, but rather we're to run towards him. We're to run towards Jesus, the, the one who is God's very best provision, the one who will always satisfy So every day we should go towards his throne of grace and get the provision and help that we need every day and every time. And that's where we should be longing to take each other as well, encourage each other. If we're a church who believes in the power of the gospel, then we will take every opportunity to encourage others towards finding out about the goodness of Jesus. Well, let's have a a very brief look at the second and third temptations that Jesus endures in the desert. Secondly, he's subject to the temptation of power. The devil tries again. He knows that Jesus is committed to this big plan, but he asks if there's not another way. This slow path you're headed down, Jesus. Isn't there a fast track to victory? And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Now it shouldn't really be a surprise now by this point to to work out that the devil is playing around with lies again. The scripture does indeed speak of his powerful sway on earth, but the devil is a constrained force. He has no power of his own, only what is given to him by the permission of God in order to achieve God's purposes. And as for this offer to give Jesus authority over the nations, that's already been promised to him by by his father. Psalm 2 speaks of the day when God will say to Jesus, You are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. Jesus knows what's promised to him. 
And he knows how he, the Father, and the Spirit have planned to win the nations. He knows that it's, there's no fast track, but the path takes the way of the cross. Jesus knows the struggle that's ahead of him. Later, he will purchase men and women from every nation for God through his blood on the cross. He knows he will share his inheritance with us. But the devil pushes and tempts him to swap the crown of thorns for a crown of splendor. But Jesus' answer is, is rather clear and very wonderful. He says, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And that's what he did. He set his face towards the cross in Jerusalem, a journey that's not about power but about sacrifice, a journey that's about self-denial, not self-serving, the journey that his father asked him to walk humbly, and he serves so he is able to serve us. Again, he wins where we fail, where we so often choose self, not service, where we so often look for the easy path and not the right path. Jesus chose sacrifice and distress and abandonment for you. And again, we should thank God that he did. So we've looked at the temptation of provision and we've looked at the temptation of power. One final temptation that Jesus faced is the temptation of protection. The devil, we're told, takes Jesus to Jerusalem. That's the place where the final and ultimate battle will happen, of course, at the end of the gospel on the cross. And the devil tempts Jesus to obtain a more genuine proof of his father's care. He creates a situation where it seems that the father will have to come to Jesus' rescue. If Jesus threw himself off the top of the temple, surely the father would come and stop him from falling and splattering on the floor. The temple, after all, was the place of God's protection. It was the place where God was present. So what better place to test this out? And so this third time, the devil drives it home by taking a turn himself at quoting scripture. He says, oh, Jesus, you like quoting scripture, so let me have a go. And he quotes Psalm 91. You think he'll protect you on the cross at the end? Well, why not test that out now? Why not make sure? If you're so committed to trusting God the Father, why not test out how trustworthy he really is? But again, Jesus' answer is clear and decisive. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, Jesus is quoting from Deuteronomy, this time chapter 6, which recounts God's people rebelling against God, again doubting God's protection. Instead of going to God like obedient children, they shout out, well, if God really is amongst us, why doesn't he show himself? Prove yourself, God. But Jesus says, I will not force my father to act on my behalf. He knows 
what the devil fails to recognize. And that is that with Jesus, as with us, God's deliverance may come through suffering and death. The deliverance isn't a protection from it. And when we actually go back into Psalm 91 and double-check the devil's words, we see that, again, the devil has worked in some half-quotes and some half-truths. Where he quotes in verse 10 of our passage, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you, he should actually have carried on. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Psalm 91 verse 11. What are these ways that God will protect us in? Well, yes, they're good and they lead to life, but does that mean that the path itself will always be easy? That the path itself will avoid difficulty and illness? No. No. Jesus knows it won't be easy and painless. And on Good Friday, at the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, the devil will return. And using the crowd, he will shout out the same words that he's just tempted Jesus with in the desert. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. The crowd, like the devil, call for proof of God's protection, for proof that Jesus really is God's son. Throw yourself down, save yourself. But Jesus declares himself to be the son of God by remaining on the cross for you. The devil didn't get that, didn't understand that. Why don't you throw yourself down? And when he saves you, you'll know he's your heavenly father. But what the devil failed to understand is that when the right time came, when God's chosen time came, Jesus would indeed throw himself down. He would throw himself down into Bethlehem to be born as a man, to die on a cross, to serve you. It's only on the cross that Jesus does finally call upon his father's protection. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And Jesus, here in the desert and then later on at the cross, Jesus emerges victorious, despite all of Satan's attempts to overturn God's plan of rescue. Where we fail... He wins. So let's take encouragement at the start of Lent this year in Jesus' temptations. His victory is our victory. He serves you and me by going all the way to the cross. He had to face temptation to become a merciful and faithful high priest, to take away each and every one of our sins forever. To take away all those times you caved in and doubted his goodness. To take away all those times that you chose ease and not cost. To take away all the times you wondered if he really would be there in the end. 
Jesus never did any of that. He never gave in to any of those temptations because Jesus knew his father's love. And because of that, his victory is now your victory. He serves you still, day after day after day. He suffered so that he can help you, so that you can approach his throne and find the help that you need. And we can rejoice in his victory. We can rely on his help. When you have Jesus and his, uh, and his ministry by his spirit, through his word, then you have all that you need, all that you need to face temptation, all that you need to face as yet unknown sufferings and disappointments, all you need for the path ahead. So we should rejoice in his victory. We should rely on his help. Let's pray together as I finish up and then we're going to sing a song before communion. Father God, we pray that you fix in our hearts how precious Jesus and his ministry is, no matter what we're going through. We pray that he is the most valuable thing in our hearts. We praise you for the son that you love, with whom you are well pleased. We praise you for sending him to serve us. We praise you for his faithfulness to you, even to the point of death on a cross. We praise you that his victory is now our victory. We praise you that he is able to come to us in our times of need. And we pray that as a church, we would come to him again and again. And we pray this for his glory. Amen. Just as we reflect upon the words we've heard, reflect upon the most important word, the most important name of all, that's Jesus. The one who came to serve and not be served. The one that calls us. One as friend, as brother, as sister, as child of God. As I said, as we sung earlier, that we are no longer slaves to fear, but that we are a child of God because of the one who came to serve and not be served. He says that many times. He reminds us also, as we heard Rob this morning, as he says he came to serve, as he came to be tempted. Those most important words that Luke writes, that as he enters the wilderness... He does so full of the Holy Spirit and led by Holy Spirit into the wilderness. And they're tempted in every way beyond imagination. And yet when he leaves and as Tina rightfully reminded us and drove it home, is that Jesus left the wilderness full of Holy Spirit. And as we'll recount and recall as we go through Lent and to that resurrectional celebration at Easter, where Jesus reminds us also that he doesn't leave us on our own as he ascends to glory, but that he also leaves us with Holy Spirit.
to be full and to be gained. The power of Holy Spirit is not for the frill, but for the fill of Holy Spirit. To be filled beyond measure. To be able to continue to serve and not be served. As a reminder, as Jesus, when the hour came, as he reclined at table and with the apostles with him, he said to them, I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. This is before he goes to the cross. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks... He said, take this and divide it amongst yourselves. For I tell you from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And as he says, and likewise, the cup after they had eaten saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. This is the one who serves. This is the one who calls us also to serve. Not in our own way or in our own strength, but through him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ever ask or imagine. So as we gather around the Lord's table, as he invites us, it's he who serves us. May we too serve in whatever way he calls us to. But know that it is he that calls. And in doing so, we remember the great cost of what it is to serve. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we can be found at table. We thank you that you remind us that you came to serve and not be served. And that you served beyond all recognition in the sense, the point that you served even to death and death upon the cross. But that the power of that and the power of death could not hold you, for you overcame and you three days later burst from that grave. Leaving death and its entrapment behind and overcoming and rising to power and glory through the resurrection. And so, Lord, as a reminder, as you said yourself to your disciples, and as you remind us, that as we remember you through these elements of bread and of wine, the breaking of body and the pouring of blood, that ultimate sacrifice that played out in service beyond all recognition, that we may be stand here and forgiven, that we too would seek you, be filled by you, and continue to serve you in wherever you may lead us. So Lord, as we come this morning, we ask that you would forgive us of any wrongdoing or any things that we may have said that may not glorify you. Lord, in a quiet moment, we just lift those things to you from our hearts and we seek your forgiveness for those things that are said or done that do not glorify you.
Gracious Lord, have mercy upon us. Forgive us our sins and our trespasses. Help us, Lord, to walk forward in truth and in the light of your love. Guide us, we pray, in power of Holy Spirit, for your name and for your glory. Amen. And so we do likewise, as Jesus took the bread and given thanks, we take this bread and we break it and we say that we take and eat. For this is Jesus' body broken for us in remembrance of him. And we too take this cup and we give thanks. And we're reminded that this is Jesus' blood poured out once and for all. For as often as we eat of this bread and drink of this cup, we do so in remembrance of the Lord until he comes again. And as he reminds us, eats afresh with us in the kingdom of God when it shall be at last fully restored come and eat come and drink as brothers and sisters together receive the bread and eat it receive the cup and retain it and we'll drink as a sign of our unity in the name of Jesus Christ together if for whatever reason you cannot eat of the bread or drink of the cup just allow the elements to pass you by without any fear or embarrassment And so we lift the cup from which all flows in remembrance of what Christ has done, what Christ will do, and what Christ will restore when his kingdom is renewed. Amen. And Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you restore us. We thank you, Lord, that you bring strength and healing whether this side of life or the next there's always healing Lord would you help us to walk in your light in your steps for wherever it is and whenever it is that you would call us Lord give us the words that we may need and the wisdom to be able to impart your love and your words to others as we journey along be it in an encouragement or be it a sharing of the name of Jesus for the first time with someone. Holy Spirit, go before us and enable us to act in ways that would enrich and enliven people to come to know you as Lord and as Saviour. Father, we thank you for the great works that you have done and will continue to do in and through those that will hold faithful to you. Lord, we pray for this world, the chaos in which it seems to be unfolding day by day. Lord, as tensions continue to rise in many different countries around this world, we may feel helpless, not knowing of what to say or to do. So we simply say, come, Lord Jesus. Come and bring your peace. Come and have your way. By power of Holy Spirit, would you blow through these nations and would you bring about restoration would you be bring about healing and would you bring about transformation to heal the wounds of the nations that fight and that grieve lord we pray that we may not know the way ahead and for many it may be fearful but lord we're reminded that we're not to fear 
but in all occasions, in all things, bring them to you. And so, Lord, we simply do that. We simply come just as we are before you. We come and we lay all things before you. May we receive from you. May we be guided by you. Not that it would enable us to boast about the things that we may or may not do, but, Lord, that we would boast in you, in that encouragement and the work that you set before us. Lord, give us the strength and the energy to run that good race. The marathon of life, not the sprint. But Lord, as we take your yoke, that is light and easy, may we be able to cast our burdens upon the foot of that cross and go forward in the light and the love of our Lord Jesus Christ, now and forevermore. Lord, we think of those closer to home, family, friends, loved ones, Lord, that may be in a time of suffering or have recently uh, come from hospital or operations, recovering from things, Lord. Those that are in hospital at the moment, Lord, we lift them to you and we pray your healing hand upon them. Your very presence be with them right now, wherever they are, that they're in no doubt of the encounter of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, would you bring your peace upon them. We pray this in your name and for your glory. Amen. That draws us to a close of our service. We thank you. We uh, hope that you will stay for tea, coffee, and uh, we look forward to next week where we continue in this series of Lent. But for now, take great care. Go well, go in peace. Amen.